0: Welcome to the John Campia Podcast, Episode Number Twenty Two for Monday, July the Sixth, Two Thousand and Sixteen. Hey guys, thanks for joining me on this episode of the John Campion Podcast. We're talking about Mark Hamill joining my Comic-Con HQ family. Very excited about that. What's going on with the UFC and Brock Lesnar sequels struggling this summer. What's going on with Suicide Squad and a whole bunch more. So sit back, relax. The John Campion Podcast starts right now. Well, hey there, guys, and welcome to the newest installment of the John Campia Podcast. I am, of course, your host, John Campia. Got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about today. Um, I'm going to start off with this because I'm I'm very, very excited about this. You guys probably saw the news the other day. Uh, we were sitting on this for a while. But as many of you know, uh, my new main gig, the main thing that I do now is I'm the exec producer and the host for a new show called Film HQ on uh, the new Comic-Con HQ network. And if you've not signed up for it, why not? It's free until uh, just after Comic-Con. So it's the best kind of thing. You can sign up for it and you've got like over a month to decide if the programming there is going to be worth the $4.99 or the $5 a month that you got to pay for it after that. I think you're going to see that it is worth it, but that's the best thing you get to choose. But anyway... Uh, You know, Kevin Pereira, Adam Sessler, myself, we've already got a bunch of shows on there. Uh, Alan Tudyk is on there, a whole bunch of people. But, you know, I've got my show, Comic-Con HQ, but we just announced one of the newest shows uh, joining it, and it's going to be hosted by Luke Skywalker himself, Mark Hamill. Or To some people, you know, it's funny. To some people, they think of Mark Hamill and they think of the Joker first, and that's cool too. But anyway, Mark Hamill is joining the Comic-Con HQ. He's going to be doing this awesome collectibles show, uh, talking to different people across the country about different collections that different people have, and that's going to be really exciting. So we were super excited to announce that. And, of course... Film HQ, we just did episode five. We're going to be recording episode six this week, and we're really happy with the way that's all going. So I'm super stoked. Um, so I want to tell you guys about that. And listen, before we get into the, the rest of the show, I wanted to ask you guys to do me a favor. If you enjoy the John Campia podcast, do me a favor. It'll only take a second of your time. Pause this podcast, open up iTunes, or find a way to open iTunes and search for the John Campia podcast. And when you're in there, leave a comment and rate the podcast. That just helps me out a lot. So once again, just open it up on iTunes. Even if you don't use iTunes, find the John Campia podcast and leave a comment on it and rate it. That helps me out a great deal. Um, now, one of the things I wanted to do, I did this last week as well, and it worked really well, is that I asked you guys to program today's show. So what I did was I jumped on my Facebook page and you can follow me on Facebook just at facebook.com slash John Campia and that's where you can follow me and I put up on, I did this last week too, I put up there a post that said, hey, you guys tell me what topics do you want me to discuss today? And last week, hundreds of responses. This week, hundreds of responses. Uh, so I obviously can't get to all of them, but I'm going to take the first you know, 10 or 15 or 20 of them that I can and get through them. And it worked out great last week. So that's what we're going to do today. Now, before I jump into those Facebook questions and those Facebook topics that you guys programmed, uh, I want to follow up on a video, a YouTube video that I did yesterday. Now, a lot of you guys heard about that little controversy going around because there's that X-Men Apocalypse billboard where you see Apocalypse one hand choking uh, Mystique. And actress Rose McGowan came out and basically said that that poster promotes violence against women. Now, I made a video yesterday on my YouTube channel. Very simple to find me on YouTube. It's youtube.com slash Campy. It's the easiest way to find me. And I did a video with with my response, like, does this picture, does this billboard promote violence against women? And I think it's a ludicrous notion. And I went in, if you saw that video, I go into all the step-by-step, all the reasons why this does not promote violence against women. I talk about the historic imagery of the one-handed choke. I go through all these movies and comic books and everything, dozens and dozens of examples where the one-handed choke is used, including this year where there's that big image from Deadpool where Gina Carano is one-hand choking TJ Miller up against the wall. Um so and Batman, poor Batman gets choked out all the time and I talked about how and how the very first time think about this, the very first time we ever saw Darth Vader do something besides just walking through the door. The first thing we ever see Darth Vader do is one-hand choking a guy. And you know, so basically no, I don't think that thing, you know, promoted violence against women, but you go and watch the video for the full context. It's about a 10-minute long video. But one of the objections that Rose McGowan and other people were bringing up on that video was the fact but John, that poster doesn't have any context. All it is is a man choking a woman. There's no context. And that's the the big refrain I hear a lot of people saying is, well, there's no context, but it's just a man choking a woman. And I'm sorry. that I'm, I'm sorry that that's pure nonsense. That is absolute, utter nonsense. Because what do you get in that poster? You've got Mystique, who has, for all intents and purposes, been the main character of this new X-Men trilogy of apocalypse days of future past first class she has essentially when you look at all three in the together, mystique is the main character of that thing i don't like that she's the main character of it um you know i wouldn't have liked it if nightcrawler would have been the main character i wouldn't have liked it if cannonball had been the main character i wouldn't have liked it if jubilee had been the main character. i don't like that mystique was the main character they just evolved it that way because oh jennifer lawrence is popular and she's playing the character anyway you've heard me talk about that a hundred times but Here you have in this poster, you have Mystique, clearly a mutant in her blue skin and all that kind of stuff, who's been the main character of this trilogy and one of the biggest badasses in this trilogy, because everywhere she goes, she's knocking fools out and quite often choking them out, but that's a story for another time. But she's beating the crap out of everybody left, right, and center in this in this movie franchise. And then you've got this new villain who's obviously huge and monstrous. The white eyes just looks like a big, brutal villain, and choking her. And the name of the movie is Apocalypse. And in the background, you see a city laid waste in destruction. I'm sorry, but if you have the audacity to say that this poster has no context, then you might as well just come out right now and, and say that no movie poster in the history of movie posters has ever had context. I don't know what you're seeing. I don't know what it is you're looking at. But as far as a single still image goes, that poster gives us about as much context as any poster can give you context. The hero of three movies being subdued, obviously, by an all-powerful villain who's new to this in a movie called Apocalypse with a city laid waste in destruction behind it. To me, this, this poster tells its own story And to suggest that the poster has no context, I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, a lot of things are subjective. They are. And and I get that. And you got to have room for other people's opinions. But the only way you can look at that poster and say, this poster has no context is if you've already decided you want that poster to say that it has, that it promotes violence against women. And now you're just coming up with excuses to try to fit your narrative. That's it. Because there's no way you can objectively sit back, look at that picture and say, oh, that picture has no context. What what picture can have context if this picture has no context? It just basically made no sense to me whatsoever. So I, anyway, I just want to follow up with that. Again, I encourage you, go check out my video. It's on my YouTube channel. Again, it's youtube.com slash johncambia, and it's called, Does This Picture Promote Violence Against Women? It's the first video on there. Uh, and let me know your thoughts there, and uh, so subscribe to my YouTube channel while you're at it. Okay, now with that out of the way, let's get into these Facebook questions that you guys have programmed for me today. Now, the first question, the first topic brought up uh, today was from Ryan McKenna. And Ryan McKenna it says, Struggling sequels at the summer box office. Well, I mean, yeah, when you look at it, some sequels have been struggling. Now, uh, let's start off with uh, one, of the, one of the films that just opened up this weekend, which was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, opened to $35 million. Now, that's not a horrible opening weekend, per se. It's not great for um, a film that has a $135 million budget. And you know what? Um Let me look up. I didn't look this up beforehand. I'm going to look it up now. I'm going to see what did the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles... uh, Mutant Ninja Turtles. What did that movie make in 2014 on its opening weekend? All right. The opening weekend for the last Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie was almost double. It made $65 million opening weekend. And this one made $35 million opening weekend. And look, it's... It wasn't a good marketing campaign. I mean, for a couple of these, it for me, it honestly comes down to not a very good marketing campaign because the last Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie was really pretty good. Look, you know, I was the one who said going into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that I did not think that movie was going to be very good. I thought it was going to be a train wreck, to be honest. And I, I said that. I said, this movie's going to be a train wreck in 2014. And then I went to go see it and I was like, you know, once I saw with Schnepp and both of us were like, wow, that was actually pretty entertaining. So it wasn't bad. But I mean, this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, the marketing campaign was just not very good. And and we said that all along, that it does not look very good. And I think ultimately that bit it in the ass because then it opens up to $35 million. So there's one. Another one is in the second week is X-Men Apocalypse. Um, You know, an X-Men Apocalypse has made about $117 million domestically. But in just a second week, going into its third week, it's made over $400 million worldwide. So is that as much as they wanted? No, but it's very, very difficult to look at a film that in just two weeks has made over $400 million worldwide and call it any kind of a disappointment or any kind of a flop or certainly any kind of a failure. Not when it makes that much money. Now, were they hoping for more? Yes. Should it have made more, especially coming off that magnificent film, X-Men Days of Future Past? Sure. But I'm going to make the argument again for X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, It was not a good marketing campaign. You know, there are very few people out there who liked X-Men Days of Future Past as much as I did. I love that movie. That movie is brilliant. And even I said when the first couple of trailers came out, I'm like, meh. I, I don't know. This doesn't look all that good. It doesn't look all that good. And to be honest, I, I don't know if it would have made as much money this th- these past two weekends if it wasn't for the fact that um, you know Captain America: Civil War was so good. I think a lot of people. You know my theory on this. I think a lot of people went out to see X Men: Apocalypse simply because they had such a great time at Captain America: Civil War. And I think it would. I think X Men: Apocalypse would have made even less money. Than it did, but again, it's very, very difficult. It's a stretch to call X Men Apocalypse any kind of a box office failure at this point when it makes over four hundred million dollars in two weeks. So it's probably going to get. It's probably going to finish around six hundred million dollars. It is once again going to be a profitable film for uh, Fox. But and you all know my feelings on X Men Apocalypse. I, I still liked it. I like the movie, but I think it is the worst of the Brian Singer x-men films i remember the brian singer directed x-men films are x-men x-men 2 and x-men days of future past and i think those are three great movies and i thought x-men apocalypse was okay Uh, and a lot of people didn't like it but i thought x-men apocalypse by by time it's all said and done i thought it was okay but i also thought it was the worst of the brian singer x-men films uh so there's that now on to another one that is a bomb that is a bomb, Alice Through the Looking Glass. Now, the last Alice movie made a gajillion dollars. I mean, it, it's it. I believe the last Alice movie is in the billion dollar club. I made, I believe, it made over a billion dollars. This Alice movie, though, uh, not so much. Its opening weekend only made twenty six million dollars. Uh, it's made $51 million so far. It had a budget of $170 million. So it roughly had the same budget as X-Men Apocalypse. But so far, X-Men Apocalypse has made over $400 million so far, whereas Alice Through the Looking Glass Worldwide has made about 150 160 somewhere around there so far. That is a flop. Um, and I believe the reason that one has failed is for two reasons. Number one, again, it was a terrible marketing campaign. That movie did not look good. It didn't look good at all. I've never talked to anybody. I'm sure there are people out there who did like the marketing. I'm just telling you that I myself personally have never spoke to anybody who thought, hey, that Alice Through the Looking Glass looks pretty good. And you know what? I didn't hate Alice Through the Looking Glass. I thought it was better than the last Alice in Wonderland movie. But that's not saying much because the last Alice in Wonderland movie was a disaster. Yes, it made a billion dollars. But for the life of me, I don't know how because that movie sucked. That last Alice in Wonderland movie straight up sucks. Like completely sucks. And yeah, the marketing for that movie was great. And a lot of people went to go see it. But I but I knew that a lot of those people who got tricked into seeing the first one weren't going to be fooled twice. And they probably weren't going to come back to watch this one. And sure enough, they didn't. As this movie is just... I mean, this movie, Alice Through the Looking Glass... I believe is clearly a better film than the last Alice movie, but the marketing was bad. It, it just was. And it's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and tell you Alice through the looking glass is a good movie. I thought it was okay, but even just barely okay is a significant improvement over the absolute unmitigated disaster. The last one was, but the trailers look terrible You're coming off of a really bad last film. I just don't know how anybody at Disney would have thought that Alice Through the Looking Glass was going to do much better than it did, to be honest. But now we go on to another sequel, Captain America Civil War. Well, Captain America Civil War has made $1.13 billion at the worldwide box office. It is in its fifth week. And it still made eight million dollars this past weekend. In its fifth week, it still made eight million dollars uh, this past weekend. It's probably going to cross the four hundred million dollar domestically alone. Uh, Mark so clearly, the Captain America: Civil War, not a disappointment when it comes to the sequels. But then you get into Neighbors Two, uh, Neighbors Two: Sorority Rising. I would have thought the Neighbors Two would have done a bit better, to be honest with you, because even though. The last movie was great. I thought Neighbors 1 was absolutely hilarious. It was, once again, not a very good marketing campaign. The trailers for Neighbors 2 did not look all that great. And to be fair, they also didn't do much of a job distinguishing Neighbors 1 from Neighbors 2. They kind of look like the same movie. And so, still, a little R-rated comedy. It made almost $22 million on its opening weekend. Not bad. When it's all said and done, this movie's going to be profitable. Uh, but it didn't do blockbuster. But I don't think anybody was expecting Neighbors to, to do blockbuster uh, kind of numbers. Now, um, I mean, so so there you go. Yeah, it hasn't been a great summer for sequels. Captain America is an obvious exception to that. X-Men Apocalypse has not done bad. But Alice Through the Looking Glass, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Out of the Shadows, Neighbors 2, I think all three of those films suffered from poor marketing campaigns. Uh, In the case of Alice, it's also suffering from the fact that the last movie was just an unmitigated mess. Um, So there are a few challenges there, but overall, I don't think it's been other than Alice, which is an unmitigated flop. I mean, Alice Through the Looking Glass, when it's all said and done, will be considered a flop. But I don't think Neighbors 2 can be considered a flop. I don't think Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles will be considered a flop when it's all said and done. Um, And I don't think X-Men Apocalypse can be considered a flop either. So has it been a great summer for sequels? No, no way. Can't defend that. But has it been a disaster for sequels? I also don't think that's the case either. All right, let's move on to the next question. Kind of uh, similar or kind of goes hand in hand with Ryan's question. This is from Truman Harwood. And Truman Harwood uh, brings up the topic of, how big of a hit do you think Suicide Squad will be? Well, that's a really interesting question because I think there are some people out there with really unrealistic expectations for what Suicide Squad will be. Because there are people out there who are predicting like a $200 million opening weekend for Suicide Squad, not a chance in hell. No way, no way will that happen. Not a chance. Uh, I think that's very unrealistic. Even though there are some people in the comic book fan community that really like the trailers, and I've I've really liked the trailers for this so far. And good trailers are definitely going to help it, and it's had great trailers so far. But the fact of the matter is, it's a bunch of characters that nobody's ever heard of. You know, outside of the the hardcore comic, yes, the joker's in there, but this is a very different joker than what people are used to. I think it's gonna be a great joker for, for the record. I think Jared Leto's gonna be a great joker. Uh, I think Margot Robbie is gonna be a great Harley Quinn. And I, I actually, you know what? Across the board, I kinda like the casting for Suicide Squad. And I think it has the potential to be a very good movie. But that's a different issue about whether or not i think it's going to be a good movie from how big of a hit will it be because you remember we just talked about the, the first alice in wonderland movie from a few years ago it made over a billion dollars that movie sucked so there's not necessarily a correlation between how good a movie is and how much money it makes um but how big of a hit will it be look i think if suicide squad can make 85 million dollars opening weekend I think if Suicide Squad can make eighty-five million dollars opening weekend, because remember X Men Apocalypse just opened to sixty-five million dollars opening weekend, right? And that's an ongoing franchise with a great movie uh, from a couple of years ago as its previous installment in the franchise with X Men Days of Future Past. So I'm going to say if, if Suicide Squad can make eighty-five million dollars, everybody should be happy. I think fans should be happy. I think Warner Brothers should be happy. I think expectations much higher than that are unrealistic. I really do. So um, so it all depends on what your definition of a big hit is. I think if they can hit 85 million opening weekend, everybody should be happy. So that's my thought on uh, on the Suicide Squad stuff. All right. Next topic is brought up by Ralph uh, Lin- Linardic. Linardic. Ralph Linardic writes, uh, John Boyega is cast in Pacific Rim 2. Your thoughts? Um, yeah, just read about this. Stephen Stephen S. tonight the guy who brought us, uh, well, pretty much brought us Daredevil season one, and he brought us Spartacus. Spartacus is in my top three all-time favorite television shows, and that was directed by Stephen S. DeKnight, who was the showrunner on that show. Um, and now Stephen S. tonight is going to be directing Pacific Rim Two. I thought, first of all, let's start with the directing choice. I thought Stephen S. tonight as a director for, uh. Pacific Rim 2 is a really inspired choice. I think that's a really inspired choice. I'm really excited to see what he does with Pacific Rim. I thoroughly enjoyed the first Pacific Rim. Um and I'm looking forward to Pacific Rim 2. John Boyega. Now John Boyega is of course from Star Wars. He plays Finn in Star Wars and he's going to be playing Idris Elba's son. And um I think that's interesting. Uh I I think John look I'm a big fan of John Boyega right now. I think the job that he did, and I had, look, I had my questions about John Boyega going into uh, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. To me, he was a question mark. Him and Daisy Ridley were both question marks for me, to be honest with with you. No, I wasn't down on them, but, but they were question marks for me. I had my doubts. And both of them crushed it. Both Ridley uh, and, of course, Boyega... Just crush I love them both. Boyega legitimized himself to me as a guy who can carry a movie. He can carry a movie. He's got that kind of charm and charisma on screen, and I just became a very, very. And I admit it. I had question marks about John Boyega going in, but he has won me over. I am a John Boyega fan, man. And so him joining Pacific Rim, I think it's a nice choice. What is something that I saw coming? No, probably not. But sometimes those are the best ones, right? The ones that you didn't see coming, the ones that you wouldn't have thought of. So I think it's a really cool choice. And I look forward to seeing what he does there. All right, this next one comes from Irish Dave Barseal, Irish Dave Barsiel, who writes, "Uh, hey, John, what do you think of Brie Larson playing Captain Marvel? Well, let's be clear about this first. As of right now, Brie Larson isn't playing Captain Marvel. There are reports that have come out that she is in talks, okay? She's in talks to play it. Now, that means there's probably a pretty good chance she is going to end up being Captain Marvel. But let's just be very clear right now that as of right now, it's not official. She's not playing a Captain, Captain Marvel yet. Uh, but that does look like the way it's heading. And, you know, we talked about this on Film HQ this past week. I love the choice. Like, I've been big on Brie Larson ever since 21 Jump Street. And, you know, then, you know, the Sensational Now, and, you know, just she's been in a number of things. Obviously, she just won and she's the reigning defending acting champion. Uh, she's the reigning best lead actress Oscar uh, title holder right now. Uh, So as of right now, she's the best in the business. Uh, She is marvelous, but I've been huge on Brie Larson ever since that small supporting role she had in 21 Jump Street. I just thought she crushed it in that. And I've been a big fan of hers ever since. Um, I think she's got a great look. She's obviously got the acting chops. Now it all depends on how well they write the character. But if it does go down and it becomes official that Brie Larson is our new Captain Marvel, then... I'm super excited for it. Now, there are still people out there who confuse Captain Marvel with Shazam because Captain Marvel used to be Shazam's name too in the DC universe. But just to be clear, they stopped calling that DC character Captain Marvel. And now that DC character goes by the name of Shazam. So that's Shazam. And then the female character, in the marvel universe is captain marvel they're two separate characters uh best thing to do is look up a wikipedia on it and you'll see the difference but just to be clear there is a difference between those two characters because i can already i already got some tweets from people say so wait a minute um Brie Larson is going to be fighting The Rock because The Rock is playing Black Adam in the Shazam movie. And Shazam used to be called Captain Marvel. So there's some confusion out there saying, wait, so Brie Larson, wow, Brie Larson and The Rock are going to be in a movie together? No, these are, they're two different movies, two different movie universes. Uh, Brie Larson is going to be playing the Captain Marvel in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Whereas The Rock is playing the villain in Shazam in the DC Universe. So there is a difference, but it's totally understandable why there was some some, uh, confusion there. All right, let's move on to the next one. And the next one comes from Brian Kemet, who writes, would you be interested in seeing a Star Wars anthology movie from the Empire or First Order perspective? I'll be honest with you, Brian. I don't really see the need for that movie. Um, I don't because, I, you know, it's very difficult to tell, the, uh, tell any movie from from the perspective of the villain, from the bad guy. It's quite difficult to do that. And I don't know that I'm, I'm interested in seeing that in the Star Wars universe. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have, you know, bad guys win. You know, Empire Strikes Back, as much as there's this happy ending that, you know, Luke and Leia got away and all that kind of stuff, you mark the Empire Strikes Back up as a win for the bad guys. The bad guys won that movie. You know, they wanted Han Solo, they got him. They wanted to find the rebel base, they found it. They wanted to destroy it, they destroyed it. They wanted to take out a whole bunch of the rebels, they did. They may not have wiped out the rebel cause altogether, uh, and that wasn't the entire war, but you mark Empire Strikes Back as a win for the bad guys. So you can tell those stories, and I, I think it's important sometimes for stories to be told where the bad guys win, because that keeps us on our toes a little bit. But, and I'm not saying you couldn't do a good movie, told from the perspective of the First Order or the Empire or the Bounty Hunter or whoever the villain is. I'm not saying you can't do it. Not at all. But if you're asking me if I would be interested in seeing a Star Wars movie told from the perspective of the Empire or the First Order, uh, I, no, actually, I, I don't have much interest in that whatsoever. I kind of like the way they're telling their stories right now. All right, let's move on to the next one. And that next one comes from Stan Wilkes. And Stan Wilkes writes... Uh, Do you think films like Warcraft and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows have furthered our use of motion capture? I think it's an incredible achievement and really helps in adding realism. I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, look, whatever Warcraft hasn't come out yet. I've already seen it twice. Um, And it's kind of dividing the critics right now. Actually, let me look this up. Let me see. The last time I checked, it was 49%. rotten tomatoes which basically means the critics are split down the middle and as of right now oh my god it's dropped all the way down to 17 (laughs) percent warcraft has dropped all the way down to 17 percent uh i'm curious who are the critics who gave it positive reviews let's see fresh reviews were given to warcraft by give it a second here um IGN gave it a positive review. Crave Online gave it a positive review. The Hollywood Re- Hollywood Reporter Hollywood Reporter gave it a positive review. Um, I gave it a positive review. The New York Daily News gave it a positive review. So, I mean, there, there are a few significant places. But as of right now, it ain't split no more. And Warcraft is definitely a negatively reviewed film. And you know, I came out of Warcraft um, saying... If you remember what I said when I came out of Warcraft, I said, you know... I I can totally see... I said, I think this is going to be another Batman v Superman. I think this is going to have a lot of people divided. And I can totally see why people aren't going to like this movie. But me personally, I did. And I honestly don't know what I would have thought of Warcraft if I didn't play the game. But I did play a lot of Warcraft. Both Warcraft 1, 2, and 3 and World of Warcraft. I've played a lot of Warcraft in my life. And... I felt, this is just me personally, watching Warcraft, I felt the same way I did when I watched Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring for the first time, that first Lord of the Rings movie. Because I remember feeling like I was transported to Middle-earth. I felt like I was there, you know? And I got to say, watching Warcraft, I got that same sensation. I felt like I was there. I was taken to Azeroth. That's what I felt like. And I enjoyed on that level. But I mean, it had its problems. It definitely has its problems. And I came out saying to everybody that was with me, you know, I, I liked it, but I can totally see why there are going to be people who don't like it. And I don't know if I would have liked it had I not been such an avid player of the game. Because I was not avid. If I had never played the game and I didn't know the game and I just went in to watch Warcraft, I don't know if I would have liked it or not, to be honest with you. Um, so I, I mean, there's that. So right now, 17% of Rotten Tomatoes, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, not exactly tearing it up right now either. I think right now, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which, you know, I, I mentioned this a little bit early. I don't think it's as good as the last one was, um, at all. I think right now it's got like a, uh, out of the shadow says like a 36%, but regardless, you got to acknowledge that the motion capture work in both Warcraft and this new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were fantastic. Like was really, really good. As a matter of fact, there's another movie coming out called Big Friendly Giant. Sorry. It's actually called The BFG, which stands for the Big Friendly Giant. Uh, That's coming out. And I believe Mark Rylance, who just won Best Supporting Actor at the Academy Awards this year, he does the motion capture and the voice for the BFG, for the Big Friendly Giant. And it is one of, it is Andy Serkis level excellence as far as motion capture performance and voice performance all wrapped into one. It's it's seriously, it's Andy Serkis level. It's that good. And I thought the motion capture performances in both Warcraft and in Teenage Mutant Turtles were both very, very good. Regardless of what you think of the movie, I think the motion capture was very good. And I don't think those movies will propel motion capture further, but I do think they're an example of how far motion capture has come in today's day and age. Look, I'm not a huge fan of the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I did like Warcraft, but I know a lot of people don't. And that's a shame. But look past that when you're asking the specific question, how good are the motion capture performances in it? They're very, very good in both those films. And I encourage everybody... If you wanna see really great motion caption performance with the voice and the face and all that kind of stuff rolled into one, go check out the BFG. It's directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, Go check that out when you get a chance. It's not gonna be one of the top 10 movies of the year by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought it was a really good movie. And like I said, Andy Serkis level kind of motion capture performances. Uh, All right, let's move on to the next one and I'm gonna totally butcher your name. Parasanath Gunasekaram, so forgive me if I'm I'm going to call you Pierre, okay? So forgive me if I'm butchering your name, Pierre. I'm terrible at pronouncing names. Anyway, your thoughts on Brock Lesnar returning to UFC? Yeah, I you know me and Dennis, as Dennis and I always do, we uh, headed into we went into Hollywood to watch the last UFC to watch UFC 199, and they made the announcement: Brock Lesnar is returning to the UFC, he's going to be fighting Mark Hunt, one of the top-rated heavyweights in the division. Uh pure knockout artist Mark Hunt. He is one of the most fun guys cuz he just swings for the fences, man. Mark Hunt goes out there to take your head off. And he's a super nice guy too. I mean, that's you'll love cheering for guys like that cuz he's super nice, super humble. Um, but man, when he steps in that ring, man, he's just this uh, Samoan warrior, man. He's just like this Samoan warrior. When he steps in there, he's fun to watch and to see him take on a guy like Brock Lesnar. And, you know, a lot of people who don't understand MMA, they still just think Brock Lesnar is just this, it's just a gimmick. He's, he's a WWE guy, him fighting in for real fighting is a gimmick, make no mistake about it. Brock Lesnar is one of the baddest men to walk the planet. He is one of the most dominant collegiate wrestlers of all time. I think they said his final record was like 185 and five. Uh, I believe that was his record in collegiate wrestling. He came into the UFC. He became the heavyweight champion of the UFC, which is pretty much the title of baddest man on the planet. When you're the UFC heavyweight champion, you're it. You're the baddest man on the planet. Um, and then he lost his title... To Cain Velasquez, who a lot of people... I mean, he was a dominant champion, Cain Velasquez. Dangerous, dangerous fighter. And then he lost. Then Brock... So Brock lost to Cain Velasquez, which there is no shame in losing to Cain Velasquez. Because everybody lost to Cain Velasquez. And then he lost to this other dude who later came out that that dude was on steroids at the time. And had tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs. So, I mean, those are that's his, that's how he finished. Make no mistake about it. Now, I, Brock Lesnar is not going to come back in to the UFC and win the heavyweight title again. He's not. All right? He's just not. But if you're one of these people who are under the mistaken impression that Brock Lesnar is just some gimmick, he's a bad bad man. And I think he's a legitimate um, he's a legitimate competitor in the heavyweight division of the UFC. Like I said, he'll never win the title again. He'll never get a title shot again. But I think he's a, he's a guy anybody who steps into the ring with him has got to take seriously. Because he is so, not just because he's so big and powerful, but because he's such a tremendous wrestler. He's such a tremendous wrestler. And in the UFC, eight times out of ten, the better wrestler will win. I mean, it's these guys with great wrestling backgrounds that usually tend to control a fight. Like even Johnny Big Rig Hendrix, right? People think of Johnny Hendrix as this knockout artist. And he is. He knocks fools out. He's got fists of stone. But the reason he can knock all these guys out is because nine times out of 10, Johnny's the better wrestler. Except for when he's fighting George St. Pierre. He's the better wrestler. And that means Johnny Hendrix usually gets to dictate how the fight will go. When you're the better wrestler, you usually dictate how the fight will proceed. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to win, but it means there's a lot of areas of the fight that you're going to be able to dictate. And when you're a guy with the wrestling ability of a Brock Lesnar, with the freak athleticism of a Brock Lesnar, and then the gargantuan power of a Brock Lesnar, you got to be taken seriously. Now, is he going to beat Mark Hunt? I don't know. I think it's going to be a great fight, though. Mark Hunt has beat a who's who's list in the UFC. He's a tremendous warrior. Uh, so he may lose, but even if he loses, that's I, I believe that would be no shame on Brock Lesnar. Personally, I think it's great for Brock that he's coming back to the UFC for at least one more fight. I think it's great for the UFC. Uh, I think that's going to sell a lot of pay-per-views. I think people are going to be very excited to see him fight. And I think it's going to be a great fight. I think him and Mark Hunt is a great match. I think that was a great match. Now, if I had to put money on it, I'm putting my money on Mark Hunt because he's been a very active UFC fighter, whereas Brock, this is going to be his first MMA fight in four years. So I'm going to put my money on Mark Hunt, but you better believe it. Mark Hunt is taking Brock Lesnar very, very seriously. So I'm excited about it. I'm very excited about it. Um, all right. Irish David Recall uh, writes in again. He says, what is your favorite movie of the summer so far? Oh, that's easy. Uh, Captain America Civil War uh, is the best movie of the summer so far. No, no question. No doubt. Nothing comes close. It's, it's Captain America Civil War. Uh, all right. Alexandru Peturic writes, what is your record for watching the same movie in the cinema? Um, my record for watching the same movie in the cinema is drum roll please. It's the Phantom Menace. I saw the Phantom Menace 18 or 19 times. Uh, I keep forgetting if it was 18 or 19. It's one of the two. Let's just go with at least 18 times. I saw it in cinema. Part of the reason that I saw it that many times in cinema, well, there's three reasons. Number one, I was deluded. I mean, I convinced myself to, I mean, The Phantom Menace is a terrible movie, but because I'm such a Star Wars head, I lied to myself and convinced myself that I liked it the first time I saw it uh that didn't last too long i eventually caught on realized no man this is a terrible movie but at first i convinced myself i liked it the second reason though that i saw it so many because i've seen movies that i love but i did not go to see 18 times in theaters but the second and third reason are kind of combined all right and that is and i still believe this to this day as bad as i think the phantom Menace is, is a movie at the time all right 1999 no movie. It was easily the greatest achievement in visual effects ever. The Phantom Menace was. It was by far to me, the greatest achievement in visual effects history. And you know, I'm a big defender of the Oscars, but the one biggest snub I think in Oscar history was that year They gave the best visual effects award to The Matrix instead of The Phantom Menace. And that's a joke. That's a total joke. They did that because The Matrix was such a better movie. The Matrix was 10 times better than The Phantom Menace as a movie. But as far as just pure visual... And remember, you know, George had snubbed Hollywood and George has snubbed the Oscars and stuff like that a lot. And I think there was a lot of Oscar voters there who just decided we're not going to give this to George Lucas. Because to me, it's not even a question. And I knew a lot of guys who worked at Digital Domain, at Computer Cafe, uh, and, you know, at, at all the big production houses. Because I, at the time, I worked the, when that movie came out. I was working in visual effects. I was a, a producer and a client services director at a visual effects, a three D animation and visual effects company. And so I had a lot of contact with all the guys in the industry. And like all the real guys in the industry were like, that's a joke. Phantom Menace, clearly best visual effects, but they gave it to the Matrix and whatever. Um, But say what you will about the Phantom Menace, the visual effects are incredible. And at the time I was working at a visual effects company. So I was just going back to watch it again and again and again, just to see these visual effects. I mean, I was just enamored with it. Now, the third reason, which is very tightly tied into the second reason that I saw it 18 times was... I was working at the visual effects company. And so what we often did for the first like four weeks that it was out, we'd go like, it would be like one or two o'clock go, Hey, who wants to have a staff meeting? And our staff meeting, when you said, quote unquote, staff meeting, that was our code for let's run over to the theater and watch the Phantom Menace again. Cause we were all obviously working in a visual effects company. We all were enamored with the visual effects and we all wanted to go and watch what they did, which was astounding to us again and again and again and again. So yeah, which movie did I see the most in cinema? It was, oddly enough, The Phantom Menace, uh, which was at least 18 times. might've been 19, but l- let's say 18. All right, I've got time for just a couple more here. Uh, Patrick Williams writes, do you, what do you think of the Justice League movie ditching the long rumored subtitle? Look, they didn't ditch it because they never had it in the first place. I think the Justice League is the right title. I think that is the correct title. Um, I think that, I think Justice League colon subtitle, especially for the first Justice League movie, I think that would be a mistake. But I mean, who cares? It's just the title. It wouldn't make any difference. But for me personally, I think if Warner Brothers and DC stick with the Justice League as the name for their first movie, I think that's the right move. I think that is the right move for them. All right. The next one comes from Gregory Voigt, who writes... Can you talk about the moment or event that made you love the movies? And why do you love the movies so much? Uh, that's a book. Uh, for me to answer that question fully is, is a book. But I will say this. Uh, the moment I fell in love with movies, when movies became the the the, the dominant influence in what was going to set the path for the rest of my life, was my earliest childhood memories. My mom taking me to see Star Wars. Um, that was the moment I became a lifelong movie fan. And it's kind of dictated the course of my life ever since. Um, Let's go. Uh, Jamal B. Pullman writes, do you think you can go a year without seeing a movie at all? No, no, I can't. I don't know if I can go a week without seeing a movie, to be honest with you. I I don't even think I can go a week. Um, Next one comes from uh, my good friend, Kevin Rubio. And Kevin Rubio writes, Superman is to make an appearance on Supergirl. Your thoughts on who you think will play the Man of Steel. Um, yeah, interesting choice. First of all, I think the Supergirl show is terrible. Um, it Like when you hold it up to like the Flash, it's just abysmal. I just didn't like it. But it's interesting. Now, Superman has appeared on the show. You just never saw his face. And now they're saying, they're reporting that they're actually going to have Superman. I think it's a very... Interesting choice because really for a long time, the execs of Warner Brothers and DC always said Superman and Batman are off limits when it comes to television. They're off limits. They really wanted to protect those two names, those two properties and save them exclusively for the big screen. So I'm very surprised that they're doing this movie. This is, this is a change of policy for them because like I said, their policy has always been Batman and Superman are off limits. And now we get told we're going to see Superman in Supergirl. Now, it's not going to be Henry Cavill, uh, unless they change their mind about that too, because DC and Warner Brothers' uh, policy has always been that their television and their movie universes are going to be, be kept completely separate. Uh, so I have no reason to believe that they're changing that policy right now. So if that's the case, then it's not going to be Henry Cavill. Who would I think will play Miss Anybody. can be anybody. Probably going to be a, a no-name. It's They're not going to get Brandon Routh to do it because he's obviously playing the Atom in the television universe already. Um, I don't think it's going to be anybody else who's played Superman before. So yeah, I, I think as of right now, it's not going to be anybody of note. At least not anybody of note that we would associate with Superman. Uh, so that's just my thought on it. All right, I'll take one last uh, question today. Keith Jones writes, what is up with the Marvel DC TV actors talking bad about their movie counterparts? Um, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, I had Stephen Amell, um, who I, I used to talk to quite a bit. Uh, Stephen Amell, he, was, he plays Oliver Queen, the Arrow on TV's Arrow. And, um, (laughs) he stopped, he stopped talking to me after I stopped watching Arrow, uh, which I don't blame him for. I, for the record though, I remain a big, uh, fan of Stephen Amell. I think the dude's great. And even though I didn't like, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles out of the shadow as much as I was hoping I would. And even though I thought Casey Jones was a badly written character, I thought Stephen Amell elevated that character as much as an actor could have with that script. I am a big Stephen Amell fan. Uh, I'm not going to let the fact that he has stopped talking to me because I get it. I get it. I do. Um, I very publicly stopped watching Arrow. I I thought the show took a real turn for the worse. And part of the reason I was so mad at the show for doing that was because I thought it was doing a disservice to a guy the caliber of Stephen Amell. I thought Stephen Amell is a tremendous performer. I still think he has a big future ahead of him. I I think he has legit movie star qualities about him. I think he's great. And I think he got mad when I stopped watching the show because I was, I think it's fair to say I was the biggest Arrow evangelist out there. Uh, I don't think there was anybody cheerleading Arrow as a show as much as I was. Um, But, you know, I've, I've got to be honest. I'm not going to be disingenuous. I thought the show took a turn for the worse and to the point where I, as a TV fan, gave up on the show. I, that happens. It happens to all of us. We watch a show until we don't like it anymore and we stop watching it. But I think the fact that I was such a big evangelist of Arrow, me then stopped watching the show caused a bit of an issue, I guess, for some people. And um, me and Stephen stop talking at that point and i get it i do i no ill will towards steven for my part i think the dude is a tremendous talent i look forward to seeing him everything he's in he was awesome uh in i believe it was summerslam that he was in he was in that wwe summerslam the best wrestling by an actor ever he did things in that match i didn't think I'd do. as a matter of fact i even dropped him a message after i saw summerslam saying dude you were crazy that was awesome And I'm still a big fan of his. And maybe one of these days he and I will have a chance to chat again. Um, But, you know, Stephen Amell came on my show. And he was critical because they had just announced that Ezra Miller was going to play Flash in the movie universe. And, you know, Stephen Amell did something that I really respected. He came out and he spoke up and he defended his TV um, uh, colleague. You know, he was defending uh, Grant Gustin. Because he came out and said, you know, I just don't get it. Grant Gustin, they just premiered Flash. it was a, It's a huge success. And right on the heels of the first two weeks of Flash, and it's a huge success, and the numbers and the ratings are solid, you come out and announce somebody else is playing it in the movies. And he was just saying that he thought that the timing of the announcement could have been better. Um, and now you've got, like, the girl who plays Sky. I know they don't call her Sky anymore. I, I don't. I can't remember what they call her. Maybe Daisy or something. The girl who plays Sky on Marvel's Agents of Shield. She's being critical of Marvel now and the way they're handling the TV and the, the movie universes separately. And yeah, you're hearing a lot of um, ill will right now from the television side of things, and both Marvel and DC towards their cinematic counterparts. My opinion of of that is this, and it's just an opinion, so take it for what it's worth. And it's worth very little, to be honest. My opinion is this. I think it's totally understandable when you are putting your heart and soul into something. In this case, the TV properties for Marvel or DC, if you're one of the actors in one of their shows, and you're putting your heart and soul into something, and you perceive that your parent company is disrespecting you. And I can see that and I can, and you feel like your movie counterparts are getting more respect or treated better or getting, you know, um, better treatment, preferential treatment. I can understand feeling slighted and I can understand feeling a little bit disrespected. I get that. But I also believe that to the actress that plays Sky, I would say the only reason I even know who you are is because Marvel gave you this job. That's the only reason I even know who you are. So be careful about crapping in the bed that you sleep in. Because do I think she has a point? And then maybe some other actors in the DC and Marvel television universes have a point in feeling having some sour grapes towards their movie counterparts. Yes, I do. I believe they have. A point, point and I believe they have a reason to feel the way they do. But at the same time, don't crap in the bed that you sleep in. Because maybe you feel they're treating you unfairly that way, but guess what? You wouldn't even be there to be unfairly treated had they not given you this job. Had Marvel, like I'm, I'm just sticking with the example of Sky, but this goes across the board for the DC television universe and the Marvel television universe. Look, I wouldn't even know who you are if Marvel didn't create this show for you to be on and then cast you in the role so that people like me even know who you are, the only reason you have a career right now is because of this company that you're talking bad about. So yeah, I understand you feeling a little slighted. Absolutely. But you keep your mouth shut. You keep your mouth shut. It's, what you just did is not good for the brand. It's not good for your individual career. It doesn't help anybody. So uh, I mean you don't want to be disingenuous you don't want to lie to your fans but at the same time put you know put a cork in it know when it's time to say something and know when it's time to not say something so that's kind of what I would uh, think about that Anyway, guys, that'll wrap it up for my time here today. Thanks so much for joining me. Listen, I want to remind you again, uh, do me a big favor. Open up iTunes, find the John Campia podcast, and leave a comment and rate the podcast. That helps me out a great deal. And also, make sure you're following me on Facebook. That's at John Campia. And follow me on Twitter, at John Campia. If you want to tweet a message to me about the John Campia podcast, just send out a tweet with the hashtag TJC. P, the John Cambia podcast and tweet that out or drop me a message on my Facebook page. Cause I think for every once in a while, I'm going to do what I did today and last week, which is let you guys program the show and take the topics that you leave on my Facebook page. So make sure you're following me on Facebook so you can leave the topics you want me to discuss in there as well. Again, of course, Mark Hamill just joins our Comic-Con HQ family. I'm super excited about that. Uh, make sure you sign up for your free trial subscription. Last until after Comic Con of Comic Con HQ. Go to wwwcomic conhqcom That's comic conhqcom Go and sign up for your free trial of that and make sure you watch my new show there with me, John Schnepp, Whitney Moore, uh, and guests like uh guests like uh Sasha Pearl Raver, guests like Clark Wolf, guests like Scott Mance and Jason Inman and others. Go and check out Film HQ on Comic Con HQ, and make sure you subscribe to this podcast, guys. Thanks a lot for joining me. My name is John Campion. Until next time, bye bye.